Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this church community. And thanks for the ability to gather. And as we turn to you and um, uh, study your word, and as we read these ancient texts, be with us, help us to um, hear your word, uh, open our ears, open our eyes, our hearts, our minds, um, so we can um, understand better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, it's great to see everybody. Um, come on in. I hope everybody has uh, place mats. We have these things back again. I don't know if you remember from the good old days yeah. down in, um, uh, what's the room downstairs? Crimes, Crimes room. Uh, the good old days. We would hand these out uh, as we were going through uh, the books of the Bible, which we're kind of doing right now. Um, but this is the... Uh, this is the last of a um, three-year cycle that, um, that we've been working on in the Bible class, trying to get through as much of the Bible as we can in, um, in three years in Sunday school. And uh, I wouldn't say we covered it all, but, um, but we got through a good chunk of it. And so here we are in Revelation. We have John Miles here, and I'm John Bice. I think we probably know everybody. But, I think so, yeah. Um, we, uh, we lack any formal uh, training or accreditation. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so there's a big asterisk uh, on this, uh, on, on our leadership. We may be trustworthy. We may not. Yeah. Be <laughs> uh, doubt is, is, is probably wise and uh, encouraged. Yeah. Um, and it, if you have Bibles handy, uh, that's great. We're going to read some. There's more over here against the wall. If you, if you need to grab one. Um, so, uh, before we dig in, we're, we're talking about Revelation, and so uh, that book is a handful, uh, and uh, and so um, so we're going to do our best to try to kind of um, go through it, maybe um, take out some of the baggage that maybe we have, um, and try to find out the the understand the the form as 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 good as we can, and then try to understand the message or some of the main themes that uh, that run throughout Revelation. Uh, but before we dig into uh, kind of an intro, I thought it'd be fun to do kind of like a uh, kind of an icebreaker or a thought experiment um, and talk about um, three. This is a this is a hypothetical situation, but like th- three just uh, general types of ways that people um, approach the book of Revelation. And uh, and so the, the three uh, categories that I wanted to uh, to. Um, throw out there as, as possible ways that people approach Revelation are these. Number one, what is this book and what is it doing in my Bible? And uh, so I think that, uh, that some people would fall into this category. Uh, and, uh, you know, because I, I think for a lot of people, it causes, uh, it seems more problematic. You know, it's, it does, uh, it's, it's like, it's just confusing. Yep. And, um, and, you know, when, when we turn to the Gospels or to uh, Paul's letters, you know, we have a certain, you know, perspective or, you know, a certain understanding. And then we get to the book of Revelation and it's like, what just happened? And there's been some pretty famous people in this category, right? The sort of what is this and why is it in my Bible? Martin Luther was in there originally. He sort of wasn't a big fan of Revelation at first. He warmed up to it eventually a little more. Um, I've but, got I got a quote from him. Oh, OK. 
Luther? Uh, Luther. It's from, uh, we should probably share some of the um, materials that we've been using. Uh, of course, you, most of you know, I like the Bible Project, and that's where these handouts come from. And so they have some good materials online. Um, and then uh, this book right here is called Reading Revelation Responsibly. Uh, when, I, when I gave a copy to, uh, to Jonathan, his, like, his, his initial response was, that doesn't sound fun. <laughs> Um, but uh, maybe we'll have fun. Maybe, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, but uh, this is written by a guy named Michael uh, Gorman. And Michael Gorman, I did a little research. He, he taught um, he, for a little bit at Princeton Theological and Duke Divinity. But now he is uh, at St. Mary's uh, Seminary, which is in Baltimore. Uh, it's a Catholic seminary, and he's a Methodist. So I don't know how that works. <laughs> Um, but he wrote well this rounded. great book. Well rounded. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so I'll, I'll share some of the little tidbits that he did. This is uh, these these are uh, this is from Martin Luther. His words about Revelation. He says it's neither apostolic nor prophetic. I can in no way detect that the Holy Spirit produced it. He goes on. Christ is neither taught nor known in it. Ouch. Seems pretty pretty rough. Yeah. He doesn't like it. Or at least didn't when he wrote this. We were talking about this, and another person that wasn't a big fan uh, was old Thomas Jefferson, if you're familiar with him. Uh, I wouldn't exactly describe him as an orthodox orthodox Christian to begin with, but he sort of called it the ravings of a madman and just completely disregarded it. So uh, it's a challenging book. Uh, even obviously Thomas Jefferson is a pretty smart guy, uh, and it just baffled him to the point he didn't want to read it. So I think John and I have it nailed down and we know the answers to all the questions uh, <laughs> that, that Thomas Jefferson could not find, uh, but yeah. we will see how yeah. we go. So that's group one. Group one. So uh, what is this book and why, what, what, why is it in my Bible? Uh, group two might be, I don't really understand much about Revelation, but it's in the Bible. It's the word of God. Um, it's the word of the Lord. So it must be good, right? Um, I'm probably going to ignore it though. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, when, when I'm stressed or when I'm, when I'm, when I'm looking for the word of God, I might reach for the Bible, but probably won't turn to revelation. Right. Uh, that's group number two, mm -hmm. which is different than group number one, I think. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, group number three, I love revelation. Uh, the form really resonates with me, and the message that John delivers is core to my understanding of being a disciple of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, I argued with them that there might be sort of this fourth group, too, or you could argue that this is maybe the third group. But there's also the group that sort of uses Revelation as a horoscope and like an astrology reading where you know, you compare the news of the day to, you know, chapter seven of Revelation and see what matches up. And you sort of predict what's going to happen in the future. And that's how a lot of American Christians understand Revelation, including how I was brought up understanding it. And uh, that sort of understanding led me to the second group where it's there. That's enough. <laughs> thanks. Uh, but I don't think that's necessarily the right answer. Um, but well, well it, if, if I'm understanding you correctly, uh, instead of being a fourth group, maybe they're in the third group because they love Revelation. I think so. I think that is the group. Uh, so maybe there are subgroups within the I love Revelation yeah, uh, that tend to be maybe, uh, let's say, more faithful in their approach or um, 
uh, more responsible in their readings. Yes, I think so. And some that are just a little bit more um, calling out the things that, oh, I don't like that person. So that is the beast. Correct. Yeah. But I don't think for a while there, I was probably in that second group. We should just probably ignore Revelation because, you know, who knows? But I think we aren't allowed to do that. And the reason why is because if we don't interpret it responsibly and study it, then the only message that gets out about Revelation is that fourth group mm. that use it as a horoscope. All right. So there has to be some sort of balance to that, I think, because if they're the only voice that's willing to talk about Revelation, then that's what everybody thinks Revelation is, which is problematic for me. Problematic. Um, mainly because I think how you understand revelation leads to how you understand Jesus. And so if you think Jesus is coming back with a machine gun to mow down everybody, then that's going to reflect in other ways you live your life too, that probably aren't for the best and aren't Christ-like. Unless you just choose to ignore it. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I, there's, there's some options on the table. Yeah. we got plenty of <laughs> options. You don't have to pick today. You can wait till the end. Uh, does anybody have any thoughts about these hi- hypothetical um, ways to approach revelation? It's a great question. Put me on the spot. Uh, I would say that re- very recently I, I, I have fallen into group three, uh, but that is a recent, uh, recent thing for me. And probably because I'm reading and studying and, uh, and kind of going through some of the baggage that I have about revelation. Um, so, yeah, I'm warming up to it. Anybody else? Uh, anybody want to share what group they're in? <laughs> or what group you were raised in? It was really a strange time to come into this room. <laughs> I could not imagine what we're doing. <laughs> I, I think we should dig Revelation. Mm. Literally, uh, figuratively, and that new cultural way. Okay. Um, my goodness, it's packed on so much. And every time you read it, it speaks differently mm-hmm. or deeper. Yeah. yeah. So, so Lynn shared that, that we should certainly not ignore Revelation and that we should embrace Revelation and that, uh, and that there's a lot for us there. And, and when we go back to it, we hear different things. Uh, and I think that's very true. I think that's largely because it's a book of symbols. The whole thing is symbology. And when it's written that way, obviously you can, depending on what's going on, I mean, it affects you differently when you read it. Um, the way I was <laughs> raised, the symbols, not so much. It was more the literal reading. And are we going to talk about that kind of how you want to get into that? Sure. Let's get into that. So, uh, let me let me pitch this question to okay. you, John. Uh, let's say this is an, a hypothetical situation. Let's say that um, I grew up in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Okay. Uh, let's say I grew up in the '80s and '90s. You know, the Bible Belt. You know, conservative. Um, and let's say I was into less heavy metal music. Mm, and uh, you know, <laughs> Iron Maiden. You know, uh, Sign of the Beast. Stuff like that. Yeah. And let's just say hypothetically, um, I was into like horror movies, mm-hmm. you know, Damien, Omen, mm-hmm. um, Exorcist. Yeah. And let's just say hypothetically, you know, I was exposed, exposed to like left behind, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, 
And let's say I didn't read Revelation, but I pretty much have it figured out already, right? Yeah, right, yeah. With, with my cultural, you know, understanding, I'm pretty, I, I got it, right? Depending on who you ask, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that's right. Uh, but I think... So there's nothing, there's nothing I'm missing. I, let's preface this. Would everybody agree that that's sort of the... When most Americans think of Revelation, they think of that stuff. Everybody agree with that or not? No, not Armada necessarily, but like 666, <laughs> the Antichrist, Armageddon, the end of the world. Uh, you know, trying to figure out who is carrying the mark of the yeah. beast. Microchips may, might be the mark of the beast. When's you know? it happening? Uh, who is who? You know, is oh, Gorbachev has the sign of the beast on his forehead. Yeah, that, that's this it was is just a mole. It was just a mole. <laughs> um, I think it was a birthmark, actually. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but that's sort of, I think, most people who either aren't religious or who are evangelical or, or Baptist or non-denominational. I don't think Catholics believe that and Orthodox Christians and maybe most mainline don't believe that. But I think the loudest voices in the room sort of believe that view. Would you say so? Maybe just from reading the news and seeing stuff, maybe. Linda disagrees. She doesn't think that's the general. Well, I mean, they might think it, but the problem, I think, so often with Revelation is that <laughs> people have not read it. They presume yeah. what it's about. They believe what they've heard about it, but they don't know what it's about. Yeah. And so I think Revelation has gotten a terrible um, Wait, it's not Revelations? No, it's not. <laughs> okay. okay. There's only one. Yeah. <laughs> but it's got a terrible, uh, uh, terrible reputation of being a dream of somebody's, or it, it's not real, or mm. it's, you know, they were on mushrooms or something. <laughs> but it's real, yeah. and it's the Word of God. Yeah. So uh, uh, I think Lynn is really saying it well yeah. uh, in that, um, that, yeah, I think I would call this baggage. And this is baggage that we have to claim. Yep. You know, we mm -hmm. have to, uh, to realize that we're, that we're walking around with it. And, but it's relatively new baggage. Well, that's, that's an interesting thing. Can you uh, ex expand on that? So <clears throat> this sort of is a modern interpretation of Revelation. And it's sort of started in the mid 1800s with this guy called Darby. And he had this view of reading the Bible called dispensationalism. And what that is, is basically a literal reading of the Bible. And he sees dispensations throughout the Bible. Some say seven, some say eight, some say three, where, you know, originally all man had to do was not eat an apple. They failed, there was a judgment. Then they had to just not be violent and kill each other. They failed to that, the flood. So he sees these different things where people are held to different standards throughout the Bible. Then you have the law and they couldn't meet the law. So judgment failed. And now we're in this dispensation of grace. But when they read these Old Testament books like Daniel and things like that, the prophets about Israel being restored, they think that that's going to happen literally. That the church and Israel are two separate things. We would say that they're one and the same. They're, we're God's people. There is no separation between you know, Israel and the church, they're the same thing. So this little reading started and 
this guy named Schofield got onto it. And then this thing came out called the Schofield Reference Bible, which was a, probably the most popular reference Bible in the early, early 1900s through the 50s and 60s. And so that's how that view sort of spread across America. But it started in the 1850s. It wasn't something that's been around church forever. Revelation was never really read that way before. It was either sort of not understood at all or in the early church, they understood it much better, obviously, which is what we're trying to get back to. You know, these are letters in the beginning to seven specific churches. So there's an audience he's writing to that would understand this. And it's not just, you know, crazy madness to them. They would get the symbols. So if I'm if I'm understanding you correctly, dispensationalism, uh, people that follow it may not even use that term. Right. I mean, uh, I knew I was a premillennial dispensationalist pretty early on. So and, and that was something that if, if, if that's what you believe, you're you're proud of that. Yeah. OK. And then and, and how would you describe that to people? Uh, terrifying. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, how, your, your approach, if, if you if you if you believe that, I uh-huh. mean, and you're like, yeah, well, would you would you say that that revelation um, is pointing to specific events that are happening now? Yes. So the way that I read Revelation growing up and the way you read it and that understanding is that this is a map to the future and that, you know, we, we know that certain things have to happen before Christ comes back and we believe he's coming back twice, the rapture first and then this and, you know, the whole rapture thing. That's another category in itself. But you use it as we can know the signs of the times that we're in and everything in the news is read into Revelation and the, the end of time is near sort of. Which is really heavy stuff. Well, <laughs> and well, the thing is, I, I feel like I, I almost believe that. I almost believe it because I believe that when when uh, John the visionary talks about Babylon, yeah, you know, um, you know, he is using a reference in the past, yes, to describe a type of empire mm-hmm. or power structure that, you know, that he sees in his time, which is probably Rome. But then, you know, people much later, you know, we don't have to worry about Babylon literally, but we do have to worry about these powerful, um, you know, corrupt institutions. And, and when, we, when we see problematic uh, nations or empires today, I think we can connect it to what John is saying, except I, I, don't, I don't believe that the problems that I see today or the the one thing that he's referencing, is yeah. that is that the difference? I think the more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, if you read scripture and the problems of empires, with, you know, people being oppressed, people, you know, being affluent and not taking care of the poor, people being violent invading countries, this is not a new story in human history. It's going on today. It was going on then, and this is sort of the beast that looms over Revelation. This power of empire. And the letter of these churches are saying, stay faithful to Christ. Don't pledge allegiance to the empire and give in to, you know, the cultural pressures, I guess. All right. All right. I think I'm tracking. Yeah. Um, I try. I'm trying. Let's touch on uh, this idea of rapture. Okay. Which really, uh, I haven't found it yet in the book of Revelation. I promise it's in there. Well, the thing is, what I have seen or read is uh, in First Thessalonians, mm-hmm. Paul talks about this thing. Uh, he calls it the parousia. 
and he talks about and, and and when I Google, you know, parousia, you know, Greek inner, mm. uh, you know, the literal translations is like presence or coming or arrival. Mm. Uh, and but Paul probably meant something more than that. Uh, I, I've been listening to this um, class by uh, Dale Martin. It's one of these. Um, um, it's uh, open Yale course on uh, New New Testament, and it's great if you're looking for something mm-hmm. to listen to. And but he said that this parousia was um, uh, something that was common in the ancient Roman times, where uh, if if a king was visiting your town, uh, that you would send out the elders uh, out of town to greet the king, and uh, and then you would present offering presents. And then welcome him into the then city. Then welcoming him into the city. Right. And so that's what, that's how I understand it. But obviously other, some people understand that as uh, this thing, rapture, mm-hmm. uh, which I guess if, if King Jesus is coming down from heaven to earth, you can kind of see how, well, us meeting him off the ground, maybe that's part of this. Yeah, you're so wrong. It's, it's so sad. Uh, so the rapture uh, happens when Christ comes back to save the Christians from suffering. That's going to happen during the seven years of tribulation. Okay. And then after that, we come back with Jesus and kill all the evil people. Oh. Yeah, that's not what I what yeah. I got out of it. <laughs> yeah, no, I think your reading is closer uh, to the truth. Uh, well, where does that come from? John Darby? I don't know. Um, it, it's it, talked it, about a lot and people that follow the premillennial dispensationalism. Sorry, uh-huh. I get tongue tied saying that. But if you, if we go through the verses, I could show you. But okay. I don't think it's correct. So why bother? Okay. I'm just, I'm, I'm curious, but you're right. It may not be a productive use of our time. Yeah. Okay. Um, so anyway, so there is a belief of, um, but uh, that's what the Left Behind books were about. If anybody remembers those, you know, you got the airplane pilot flying the plane and then he disappears and the people on the plane are like, ah, OK, uh, and the planes go down. And people driving cars run into stuff because they get raptured. And it comes from that, you know, the, there's a saying in scripture, like he'll come like a thief in the night yeah. like when you're not expecting it. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it has to be the secret rapture sort of. OK, so we need to be ready. Right. You always got to be ready. OK. Yeah. I I. I I can get behind that. Yeah. We should be ready. We should be ready. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure what for. It, I, I think uh, being ready is good, but how you're preparing to be ready is what matters. Yeah. All right. Well, let's keep moving then. All right. So that's a little bit of our baggage claims section. Yeah. Uh, does anybody else have any thoughts about? Yes. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Jesus says, and, and that's a parable in the Gospels that we need to be ready. Um, so I think there's there's merit behind being ready. Yes. So what did the creeds say? Right. Here's here's the the thing I love about the creeds is they're pretty drilled down principles, right? So mm-hmm. there's freedom within the Christian faith to believe. Basically, we have this set of creeds, and those are the essential points. Everything outside of that is sort of there are different opinions in the Christian faith, right? That you really need to believe just this basic set of creeds and then everything else is up for interpretation, I guess. And so the creed is just, we believe in the second coming, you know, I didn't read rapture in the creeds. Mm-hmm. 
you want to believe the rapture, that's fine. But really, it drills down to we know Christ is coming back. We don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know what new heaven and earth is going to look like. All we know is we have faith that God is going to make everything right and that evil will be conquered eventually, finally. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying that a lot of this dispensationalism, all that kind of stuff, is not really part of Orthodox Christianity. No. Yet, it seems to be part of this kind of um, popular culture or popular understanding of Christianity. And I think that's the, that's the problem that I think we have. It's a child of modernity, right? Like the modern era. After the Renaissance, everybody thinks in scientific terms where everything could be proven. Everybody thinks of we have history books that teach objective facts. And so then that's how people try to start understanding the Bible. They want to read, you know, they want to read it like that. And when you do that, I don't think that's how the Bible says to be read. The Bible's Jesus taught in parables. There's supposed to be some mystery. There's supposed to be some faith, some things we don't understand that we have to trust God on. And when you want to use the Bible to come up with all the answers for everything, it, I don't think it's supposed to work like that. John, I know you study the prophets. And to me, there's a strong link between the, the books of the Bible, the, the prophecies, and Revelation. Yes. And I've always looked at Revelation as sort of being the ultimate book. That all the prophets are leading, leading it's, up because it's, prophetic literature sort of tells us. I know things are really bad right now. That's right. You know, you got drug off of Babylon, and it's, you know, you got activity, this and that, and other. But everything is going to be okay. That's mm -hmm. right. At the end. And that's sort of what Revelation is telling us, too. It just tells that in a different way. But at the end of the day, it still says it's going to be okay. We could all buy down it. Well, how is that going to work? Yeah. You know, how is it going to, how are we going to get Okay, what's gotta happen? You know, how many people gonna get machine gun down that we don't like? Yeah, right. So that we can be okay and they can't. That's right. And and uh, we get uh, again, we get too bogged down and to, instead of just trusting that it is gonna be okay, we get too bogged down and I wanna know exactly how that's gonna happen and is it gonna be a 753 next Monday after <laughs> you know, and, and that's sort of if you if you step back from that in that revelation, that's the ultimate prophetic literature, then it doesn't yeah, so it's, it's sort of a greatest hits of the Hebrew prophets. Uh, <laughs> the symbols aren't new symbols for the most part. I mean, they're pulled directly from the Old Testament. And there's this link there, you know, and this also comes back to, you know, when people hear the word prophet, they think like fortune teller or like I can predict the future. And that's really not what the prophets are in the Bible. They're there to call people to repentance and tell them that if you don't repent, bad things happen. That's just how it works. Mm. If you're straying away from God and doing things you shouldn't be doing, it leads to bad consequences. Yeah. And so, uh, so, and, and, and that's a, a problem a, a lot of readers have with the prophets is they're, they're wanting to know how it's going to happen. Yeah. It, how's it, how's this going to go, going to go down? I'm, I'm very curious. Yeah. But that's not really what they're telling us. They are giving us this, uh, this, uh, this uh, crisis. You know, there's something going on that needs to be addressed. Um, you know, uh, and people call them like a covenant watch, watchdog. Yeah. And they're like, you know, you guys need to repent. Uh, the, the day of the Lord is coming and, uh, and this is getting ready to go down. Be prepared. But the second part of the prophets is things are going to get really bad. But the second part is the hope. Right. And that's 
also what revelation is that, you know, there's going to be suffering, which is part of the reason I don't agree with the rapture theory. If you read revelation, it's clear that Christians are going to suffer, right? Like that's part of being a Christian. You're going to suffer. But the rapture theory says, we don't really want to suffer. So I'm going to let God take us out of here so we can just get off, you know, without any suffering. And then all evil people are the ones that have to suffer because surely God would never ask us to suffer. Um, but there's hope in revelation. Yeah. I think, uh, so there's, there's hope and, and, and there's, there's hope in, in I say, uh, Ezekiel, yeah. uh, Jeremiah, there is, but then there are all, there is this kind of this judgment and this hope. And it's kind of like, uh, it's, it's a one, two combo. And I think that's what we're getting in revelation too. Yeah. We're getting this, uh, you know, um, you know, with, with revelation, it seems like the crisis you know, uh, the writer, we we're kind of jumping around a lot here, but yeah. the writer of Re- Revelation, um, you know, John, we don't really know who John is exactly. No relation to us. We're, <laughs> we are fairly certain of that. Yeah. Um, but John is uh, he's exiled to Patmos. Uh, and I, I think some of the assumptions are that he is has been persecuted because of his. Uh, allegiance to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the thing is, and he's writing this message to these seven churches. I think some of the implications are that, you know, that he's warning them that they might be getting a little too cozy, uh, you know, with this Roman, um, there's a, you know, back in the time, I mean, they, there was a kind of a Roman cult uh, and, and there, you, you were, you were um, to to be, you know, have allegiance to King Nero or, uh, you know, Caesar or whoever. Uh, and so, and eating meat from the temple and stuff like that. And, and so uh, Paul talks a lot about that and he's like, yeah, you know, he kind of, he's like that, that meat that you get from the temple, it's not really, you know, if it, if it makes you uncomfortable, don't do it, but you know, it's not really, nothing really changes. Uh, but the thing is, I think that the writer of revelation is worried that they're getting a little too cozy in this Roman Empire. Yeah, if you look on the placemat, uh, that's what we call them, by the way, placemats. But this first little square here that goes over 1B through 3, you have the churches there on the right, and you see persecution, apathy, affluence, immorality. You know, these churches are living in this Roman world that is a world of excess, you know, drunken orgies to worship gods, you know, wealth, the Roman Empire became very wealthy, and they're sort of going along for the ride, uh, and the lure of empire and wealth and affluency and power ruling over people is very attractive, and what he's trying to say is resist those temptations and stay true to God. Don't pledge allegiance to the empire and get involved in what empire power looks like. Yeah, you should be committed to King Jesus. Yes, which is a whole different kind of power. Right. So we've jumped around a lot. I uh, figured that was going to happen. Yeah, yeah well, that's fine. Any uh, any thoughts or feedbacks, uh, objections? Uh, let's look. If, if you have a, a Bible, open it up to Revelation. Uh, uh, I'm not going to read much right here. Uh, but the uh, the first verse uh, in Revelation one one says uh, in my copy uh, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place 
he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. I think that's one sentence. Um, the, the first thing I want to point out, uh, in, in my copy, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. Does anybody else have a different, there's probably all the same translation. But the, the Greek behind this is uh, the apocalypse. And so, uh, so when we talk about the apocalypse, we're talking about um, revelation. Uh, but that is a word that we should probably, I don't know, talk about a little bit. Because it's, uh, you know, like some of the baggage that we have with these concepts in Revelation. I think we have some, con- some maybe some baggage with this word apocalypse. Uh, for a lot of people, you know, when we hear, uh, you know, when we hear it used in common you know, language, it's about destruction, you know, uh, apocalypse, apocalyptic. Uh, there's the whole genre of dystopian post-apocalyptic novels and, you know, that are very popular things uh, in the world, not just in America. But so, is it really when I think when we think of apocalypse, we think of like, you know, an asteroid hitting the earth or, you know, armies battling and everyone dying. And that's not really what the word means. So I think it's going to be helpful for us to try to kind of block that understanding of apocalypse um, out of our head for the moment, uh, because the, the literal uh, definition of apocalypse is revelation or uh, revealing or uncovering. Uh, and so that's, that's what's happening here is, is this is, this is an, an, an uncovering uh, that, uh, that we're, we're getting. We're, it's some kind of a new way to see things. Uh, but then it's also something else. It's kind of like the word gospel which, uh, you know, can be used different ways. I mean, gospel is the good news. Uh, and, uh, and it was a word that was used, uh, you know, uh, euangelions, the Greek, but it was used, uh, you know, in popular Greek and Roman times, you know, uh, the, the good news of Caesar Augustus. And because it was usually a royal announcement. Uh, and, um, but we, call, we, we talk about the good news of Jesus Christ because we claim that Jesus is the king. And we have allegiance to, to King Jesus. So it's so that is one way to understand the word gospel. But then we also talk about the literary style. The first four books of the New Testament are gospels. Uh, you know, Paul also talked about um, the good news of Jesus Christ, but he wrote in a different style. He wrote letters or epistles or whatever. But these uh, these little biographies we have, or however you want to think of them, uh, we call them gospels. So gospel is has several meanings i think uh and i think apocalypse is the same kind of thing because we we have a certain understanding of it as this um revelation or this uh you know this revealing uh but then we also have this literary style of apocalyptic literature which was popular uh, i guess around the second temple period um you know this kind of this jewish form of of writing and communicating and it is very uh as, as we dig into it it's very uh image driven um you know it's uh it's very dramatic in it's uh in its style of communicating it's not narrative uh it's to me it's more poetic um uh psychedelic maybe is poetic <laughs> psychedelic yeah uh, psychedelic is what maybe modern people would call it but it's 
Could it possibly be like an aha? Yeah. You know, like, oh, oh, that's the truth. Oh, yeah, sure. I think that's what revelation yeah, is. I yeah. Think, when yeah. things are revealed, exactly. that should be the response, right? Like, ah, okay. Aha. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so it's, it is, it's, it's, I think if, if we're reading that correctly, uh, that hopefully it will open our eyes in a new way. And so, uh, so we do have this, um, this new way of reading and understanding. And that's why I, I'm going to kind of talk about the form and the um, content is uh, two different things of apocalypse. Because there's the form, the apocalyptic form, which um, we're going to look at. But then there's also what is the message within this apocalyptic form? Uh, if you have your Bible, flip open to Mark. There are these what uh, what they call um, uh, minor apocalypses in the um, in the Gospels. Uh, let's see, Mark I think is after Matthew. Um, let's look at Mark thirteen. We won't read this whole thing, um, and there are parallels in Matthew and Luke of this, but let's look at Mark thirteen. As he came out of the temple, one of Jesus' disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings? Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he. And they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. Uh, this is by the beginning of the birth pangs. He kind of keeps going down. And then we get to verse 14. We hear about this. Uh, when you see the desolating sacrilege set up where it ought not to be, let the reader understand that that's a lot of this is, is coming out of Daniel. But then let me finish up with verse 24. But in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Is this apocalypse? I think so. So what would make this, why, why would we call this an apocalypse? A lot of imagery. Um, I do think it's interesting uh, that the disciples say, tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign? That these are about <laughs> that's, to happen? that's us. Yeah. It's and what, It's exactly what Lynn alluded to earlier. Uh, mankind is by nature very lazy. <laughs> <laughs> and you want to feel like well, I want to know it all. So we just want to put stuff in my 
boxes yeah. and we want to know, okay, this is how this is going to happen. Yeah. And now I understand this. Essentially, uh, this is not how it ever works. No. You got to dig, like Lynn said, you got to dig in and do the work. Jesus uh, is telling them what's going to happen. And that's not enough, right? They said, yeah, that's great. We understand that. But I need to plan accordingly. You know, like I've got things I want to do with my life. I need to know what the day, the hour is. So I get my life in order. Uh, And that's, I think, why. You also have to remember that this is sort of ancient way of blowing your mind and saying it's going to be so amazing or so destructive that I can't even use words to describe, you know, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give light, the stars will fall out of heaven. Obviously he's not saying that literally that a star is going to crash into planet earth whenever Jesus comes back. He's saying that there's this reshifting reordering of the universe that everything will be shaken to its core. Right. It sounds like a big deal to me. Yeah, it sounds like a really big deal. Uh, you know, uh, it's it's the end of an age. Uh, you know, things that you have always assumed are not going to be that way anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and it is it's it's a way to kind of communicate this this radical um, change that will happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, Lynn. You know, I think maybe one of the other apocalypse. Apocalypse. Yes. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. So. Uh, so Lynn is pointing out that on 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 the day that the Lord was crucified, that a lot of these descriptors are used, and so in it, and and so we are we are being uh, shown. The, the nature of Jesus and the implications of it. And so that is a revealing. Uh, and, uh, and, and we're, we're seeing some of the same images. And I think that, uh, that this is, it ties in with a lot of the prophetic imagery, uh, the day of the Lord. This is all kind of coming together, I think. Uh, and I'm so glad y'all are back. <laughs> yeah. Whitney. Yeah, so there's a lot of hope, Christian hope, in resurrection. And um, I think, too, that writers have to use imagery that people can understand. So this is something we, we don't want to do, and we don't know how this is going to happen. Because it's going to, something's going to happen that's completely, not, you know, we, we cannot put our feeble minds around it. But when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he used imagery that they could understand. The parables had all kinds of imagery that was about the crops and the fields and, and, and fit the culture of the day. Mm-hmm. It fits our culture. And I think a lot of this language is being Jesus is using 
and, and the government letters are using because they're trying to hide the things we can't understand. Yeah. You know, the, like earthquakes and mm -hmm. like that because we say, okay, I know what an earthquake is, so I can understand. Right. Because what's going to happen is probably going to be a lot different than our earthquake. Right. Right. But that's just something we can, my, my little mind can understand. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, I think that all these are great points. And what I would like to also add is, and, and this, I think this is implied in this conversation, as we turn to Revelation and we're trying to read this book, that is a challenging book, um, one benefit we have is the rest of the Bible. And the rest of the Bible, I think, is going to help us understand what uh, John the visionary is talking about. I sure hope so. Uh, because if, if, I, if I know one thing about John is he's a Bible nerd. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, so what I did was I, I printed out, you should have, uh, it may be front and back, but you should have um, two sheets, one with this, uh, you know, um, uh, graphic for revelation and then one for this graphic of Daniel which, um, so uh, before the lecture series, we, uh, we talked about Daniel and uh, Charlie led us um, two classes. We certainly could have done more, uh, but uh, it kind of works out because if you remember, we have um, two distinct parts in, in the book of Daniel. We have uh, the first part is about Daniel and his buddies. Now, remember, this is uh, set in Babylon. So there, I, th I think what we're going to find is there are uh, quite a few connections to what John is talking about in Revelation. Uh, and when we talked about Daniel, uh, we didn't think that it was written, you know, during the times of, of this Babylonian exile. We thought it was written post-exile, you know, probably during this, uh, you know, Greek uh, Rome, uh, Greek uh, period, you know, like um, Alexander the Great or something like that. But so they, so the writing, the writer of Daniel was was looking back and using this uh, this this time of exile to try to communicate something, and and one thing that that uh, that Daniel and his buddies they keep getting tested in this first section. Uh, who do they have allegiance to? Do they have allegiance to Yahweh, or do they uh, are they um, willing to cut corners? Or are they willing to eat meat from the uh, king's table? Are they willing to bow down to? idols and stuff like that. Uh, so they're, they're tempted to, uh, to embrace Babylon, but they resist. And then we, we hear, uh, we hear this, this language a lot about beasts in, in Daniel. Um, and, uh, and, and we actually have, so the, the king of Babylon, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, we're, we're not, we don't like him. You know, he's the bad guy. Uh, and he actually he literally turns into a beast uh, in chapter four. Uh, and he, you know, he, he kind of transforms and he just starts eating grass. Uh, and so it's a great illustration. Uh, <laughs> no. It's probably pretty accurate. Right. Uh, and so we have this connection of what is it, what's going on here with this conflict between humans and beasts. And then we get into the second part of Daniel, which is very apocalyptic in its style. Uh, these visions, these dreams. Uh, I was going to read some this morning, but we're running out of time. Uh, but this chapter seven is, uh, is, is definitely worth checking out if, if you're curious. Uh, the, Dan, so before cha uh, chapter seven, uh, Daniel was helping other people understand their dreams. 
But here we actually have Daniel's dream, and it's about these terrible creatures, uh, these beasts, and they're given dominion, and they, they're destructive, and, uh, and they talk very arrogantly. But then we have this, this ancient of days, which is, I think, a symbol for God that, that, uh, that raises up, and he chooses the Son of Man, and the Son of Man uh, reigns uh, with him. And, uh, and essentially, there's a, um, a conflict between this arrogant beast and, uh, and the Son of Man, and guess who wins? <laughs> we'll find out. Well, yeah, stay tuned. Uh, so anyway, uh, we're going we're gonna to have a lot of this type of uh, imagery conflict going on in Revelation. And so as we do, uh, you know, when we, we talk a lot about what does it mean to be a beast? Uh, because uh, here we have this, you know, humans are turning into a, a beast. Uh, and then we have uh, the beast in, in Revelation. Uh, but then we end up having the, the human one uh, that, that gets elevated. And in, in one way, it's, it's very odd. You know, it's just like the animal kingdom and the human kingdom, you know, are they going to, you know, somehow have this competition? But that's certainly not it. But it's uh, I think it's pointing back to Genesis where we have, um, you know, uh, God's crown creation is the human, the human that's made in the image of God and filled with God's divine breath and gets blessed. Uh, And so human is supposed to tend the garden, is supposed to do the work uh, of God, uh, yet as we read Genesis 3 through 11, they don't do such a good job. Uh, they're, they're tempted. Uh, they're, um, they're deceived. Uh, so anyway, in, in these uh, apocalyptic tellings, they, they, they're even more than deceived. They, turn, they lose their human uh, status. And, um, and so we have this ultimate conflict. And if you pull up your, uh, your revelation sheet, uh, you'll see that, um, you know, we'll have this throne room scene, uh, chapters four and five, uh, and that's very similar to Isaiah or some of these prophets. Then we have all of these cycles, the seven cycles, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven signs, seven bowls. But then we have this ultimate conflict at the end, the fall of Babylon, the final battle. And, Armageddon. Yeah, Armageddon. Yeah, that'll be fun. You're going to, you're going to. Uh, tell us all about that, right? Yeah. Uh, and then we have the marriage of heaven and earth at the end. So I, I think that it's going to uh, it's going to do us some some good to to think about Daniel as we move forward in Revelation, because I think there are, there are some some patterns that might help us understand what John is saying. Yeah. How much time do we have? Church starts at ten thirty, right? So like two minutes. I mean, we're supposed to be done. Oh, okay. But uh, if you have any thoughts, we can no, share. I'll save them. Okay. I don't want to hold people over. Uh, anybody have any thoughts, comments, questions? Do we already, answer? They already get it. Yeah, we yeah. we can stop. Yeah, we, we, we taught you revelation. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Stay tuned. I don't know. <laughs> A good way to yeah. All right. Thanks. Let's uh, let's close in prayer. You want your yes, prayer? Lord, thank you for this time together with this group of people uh, who are seeking to know you better uh, so we can serve you better. 
Uh, thank you for your holy scripture that we can dig into and devour and uh, consume and use it to live better lives that reflect you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, thanks, everybody.